Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flushing is Burning. As always, I'm Grace. Um, we are in the thick of the playoffs, uh, as we spoke about last week. Um, right now, we're in the midst of the championship series round, right before the World Series. Um, I'm terrible from how last week transpired. Um, our two matchups are set, and um, in the case of one for when I'm recording right now, in the afternoon. So game two of the ALCS between the Texas Rangers and Houston Astros is currently going on. Uh, it's the end of the first. The Rangers are up 4-0. Um, the Rangers sure look like a team that are going to the World Series. Uh, they swept the Orioles in the first round. Um, sad bird noises. And um, they looked really good doing it. That first game, you know, they they it was three two, nice close game. Second game, not a nice close game. That one was a eleven to five, I believe, or eleven to six, included a grand slam. Um, and then they, you know, packed things up with a. I just want to get the exact numbers right here. So the game three, they won by boo boo series. This is great radio. Uh, they won game three by six runs. Oh, it was 11 to eight was game two. Pretty close for the fact that Texas went up like 11 to two or whatever. Uh, and then the Rangers won seven to one. So they they their offense just exploded. And um, they're facing against, off against the, um, the Astros, who won the ALDS against the Twins. They won three to one. The Twins at least won a, won a game in that series. Um the, the Astros looked good in that series. Um, they haven't looked too hot so far in this uh, ALCS. Uh, the Rangers won game one, 2-0. Uh, Verlander and, and Montgomery had a little bit of a pitcher's duel going on. Um, I was genuinely shocked that Aroldis Chapman didn't blow the game for the Rangers, as we've seen him to do. Um, and then... The big news coming into the ALCS is that Max Scherzer will, in fact, be returning for the Texas Rangers. Um, and I believe right now he is projected to start game three. That's huge. I mean, if they they win this game, which they're already up for nothing, it is now the top of the second. And the Rangers, I looked away for three seconds. The Rangers already have a runner on. And this, they're already winning for nothing. Uh, if they go up to nothing, they go back to Dallas? The Rangers play in Dallas? These are things I should know. Uh, they go back home to the the shed that they play in, the big, you know, shed that they Arlington. I, I did know that. Um, and Max Scherzer's on the mound for Game Three. I don't hate their odds, you know. And and Jordan Alvarez is apparently dealing with some sort of virus, some 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 sort of bug, um, that caused him to miss the intros 
to the, the series yesterday, you know, when all the players stand and wave. Um, he didn't look great last night. He got struck out three times by Jordan Montgomery. This series is very interesting. Uh, if you had asked me before the series began, I would have said, oh, this would be a pretty evenly matched back and forth battle. I would have probably guessed the Astros, but I would have been rooting for the Rangers. Um, yeah, I genuinely don't know. I mean, the, the Astros won 90 games this year, or, or however many they won in that close AL West battle, but the Rangers won less than them. The Rangers were the wildcard team. So, you know, you'd expect the Astros to have the handle on this one. The Astros are historically very good, but... I don't know. They seem to have some sort of. I don't know if it's Astro flaws. I mean, Fran, Fran Valdez hasn't been looking very good in this game, but I mean, Valdez has been great this season, and I don't know that it's so much Astro flaws as it is that just the Rangers have with the amount of money they've spent on this team. Which let's not forget, over the last few years, they've been seen as a bad team. They've been underdogs. This team is the, has the fourth highest payroll in baseball. Um believe fourth, fourth or fifth, up there, you know, up there with the Phillies, really. They're not a bad team. This is a good team put together with a lot of money. If they win, I don't I don't think you can actually categorize that as a legitimate shock, you know. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say the Rangers, I think the Rangers might win this one in five. I think the Astros can steal a game, maybe six. Maybe they can steal two games, but this feels this feels like the Rangers are, are going to the World Series. Uh, the other championship series going on right now is the NLCS. Um, the first game will be tonight between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Diamondbacks. Um, Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers. Again, I'm terrible at predictions. Uh, they The Dodgers need pitching. Who would have thunk? You know, they just, they their pitching was bad the whole way through. Um, and some of that is, you know, team construction issues, but the the other issues are, I mean, yeah, they traded for Lance Lynn, but also Tony Gonsolin got hurt. Dustin May got hurt. Um, you know, the Julio Urias decided to commit a crime. Um, and that was too late for the Dodgers to really be able to do anything in that instance. They got Lance Lynn, but he's not, you know, you, you can't expect to fix all with, with Lance Lynn, the desiccated carcass of Clayton Kershaw and a bunch of rookies. Yeah, they won 100 games, but it, it, I think what's 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 going on here, and I, I we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit, is the idea of the 100-game team being unbeatable. And I think that that sort of takes away sort of the way that there's like a, a, a washout effect over the course of 162 games. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the Phillies beat the Braves three games to one. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is there anything better? You know, listen, regular season. I hate I hate the Phillies. I hate the Braves more, but I hate the Phillies. Oh, uh, the the Schadenfreude that I got watching the Phillies demolish the Braves, and especially okay, game two, Michael Harris the second. That was an insane play that he made, catching that ball, doubling off Harper, which. I've seen some people get mad at Harper about that. I don't think you can actually get mad at Harper about that. They were down by one run, and the odds Harris makes that catch are so, so small, comparatively speaking, that he had to sort of get in the position that he could score should Harris not catch that ball. 
And then it kind of took like the perfect relay to get him at first. It, you know, it was just a confluence of events. Now, after that, after that wonderful game too, um, Orlando Arcia committed what has to be one of the most ridiculous unforced errors we've seen in the baseball playoffs this year, if not the most ridiculous unforced error. And that is saying, attaboy Harper, in front of the reporters who then reported on it, which I, I, I want to just say this because this was this turned into a whole controversy this week, and I don't quite understand why. Um, if you say stuff in front of the reporters in the clubhouse, you, you can't you can't assume everything you say is off the record unless they say it's on the record. From you know my little understanding of journalism, as someone who's seen a lot of journalism movies. Uh, usually you have to ask for the off-the-record bit, right? Like, the assumption is everything is on the record until you you set the boundaries of off-the-record. Um, and, and that didn't happen. And the people saying, oh, well, Orlando Arcia does all of his press stuff with, with an interpreter. He would have never spoken English. He, he I think I saw somebody, somebody say he doesn't speak a lick of English, which is really funny to me because this guy's been around for years at this point. Like, he's not he's not new. He's not a rookie. You think that in all of his years playing baseball and through the minors and through the majors, he couldn't, even if he didn't speak any English, let's, let's, let's be real. Most of these players who have the interpreters do speak English. They need to be able to communicate with their teammates just casually to sort of create bonds and that you have with a team. So they speak some English. They just don't feel comfortable enough to use that English to really hammer in what they want to say in a press availability or something like that, or, or on the mound when, when they need a big moment, you know, to think that Orlando Arcia in all of his years hasn't been able to pick up what attaboy means and Bryce Harper's last name is in a way kind of insulting. He's not stupid, right? So they did this. He says attaboy Harper right before they go back to Philly. What are you doing? Right? Like, that's that's the other thing. What are you doing? Philadelphia is insane. Those people are insane. Why are you doing this right before you go to Philly? And then Bryce Harper immediately hits two home runs in game three, um, as does Nick Castellanos. And then Nick Castellanos hits two home runs in game four. And um, I think I've been a red October pilled. You know, like, I am I'm really into this team. During the regular season, fuck the Phillies. During the postseason, I think I'm rooting for the Phillies. They're crazy. They're crazy and they're they're wacky. And you've got Garrett Stubbs. Like they're still saying fuck the Mets, which is really funny to me. Like the, the you, this team won 75 games this year, and you're you're still like you're still gonna be like fuck the Mets. Like I think that's funny, and obviously it's a chant that they have. So, um, but they're they feel like to me watching them in these in these postseason games, they feel like sort of a team of dis- destiny, right? It's like everything's clicking at the right time, and they've got the right pieces, and they have created a good team. This is not a bad team. They have a good bullpen. They have good players on the field. They fixed a lot of the defensive issues that they would have had last season by signing better defensive players or by moving better defensive players around. So they basically made Johan Rojas a starter, even though he doesn't hit like a starter. In center field, he made that insane catch in game four, and that stuff helps. And you can sort of mask that when you have Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos. And, you know, even though he hasn't been super great this year, Kyle Schwerber and Trey Turner and JT Real Muto, like you have the players to Bryson Stott, you have the players to mask a Johan Rojas. 
Um, their has been fantastic. Their bullpen's great. Zach Wheeler is an ace. Uh, Aaron Nola is pitching really well. It, Rangers, this this it's clicking at the right time, and I think what we need to when, and and we'll get into this. This will actually segue into the the sort of debate over the playoff format now that's been happening. Um, they're playing a lot. Their season played out a lot like the 2021 Atlanta Braves, which is also why I think that they're going to win the World Series. Um, in that they started out slow, but then over the last like half to two thirds of the season, they played like a hundred one team essentially. Um, so to 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 wrap this into the playoff format questions, there's this idea that that the format needs to change because three teams with a hundred wins got knocked out of the playoffs this this postseason, right? Like like the, the three teams, hundred wins, or however many was. I'm like so my brain is fried. Um, they all got knocked out, right? It was the the Braves, the Dodgers, the the Orioles, they all had hundred wins. The Rays had ninety-nine wins. They all got knocked out. A, they're not getting rid of this format. Get over it. They're gonna use this to make if anything, they're making all the series longer at some point, but that's gonna take a few years. We gotta get into this one. Um the the argument that the buy is bad, A gets disproven by literally the Houston Astros, who have gotten through the buy round two years in a row. The the buy round isn't the issue here, right? The week off, okay, you want to say, oh, well, guys get a little rusty in that week off, whatever. Sometimes it's just not clicking at the right time, right? And, and you can point at it, different issues that these teams have, but it comes down to it is if you have won 100 games over the course of the season, if you are the Atlanta Braves, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Baltimore Orioles, you need to play better. Right, you have five games here. You want to lose? Okay, it takes one to knock the the rest off. Whatever. You could expand these series to seven games. They're still gonna lose. Like the the Braves still would have lost that series. Dodgers still would have lost that series. Orioles Orioles still would have lost that series. You can get rid of that that buy, but like the the Dodgers and the Orioles are chucking through the last you know half last few months of the season with no pitching. The, the Phillies have played better than the Braves for the last however many months. You're not, it, it's not the playoff format's fault. And if you, if you don't want that week off, you really think that's going to hurt you win less games, you know, <laughs> like that's really the answer is like, if you're going to be upset about it, win less games because yeah, could guys get rusty? Sure. But also you're telling me that like Adley Rutschman, who's caught a million games this year, didn't welcome the opportunity for a week off from catching. It, it, it makes no sense. The Rangers swept the oh, Houston just scored a run. It's four one. The the Rangers swept the Orioles. They got a bunch of time off there. They're they're still playing great. It's not it's not the playoff format's fault that these teams got knocked out. It's their own deficiencies. The Orioles had a cha- had a chance to. Tr- I mean, the Orioles could have traded for Max Scherzer. You know, not that he would have helped right now, but. The the Orioles could have traded for literally any starting pitcher better than Jack Flaherty. You know, the Dodgers could have done anything more than just getting Lance Lynn and Ahmed Rosario. That that trade is really funny to me. Every every time I think about it, Ahmed Rosario, Los Angeles Dodgers makes me giggle. Um, the Braves could have played better. The Braves have the have the MVP 
and have probably the guy who's going to come in third or fourth for MVP on their team. They have a guy who's a Cy Young candidate on their team. Why can't you play better? Like, that's the real, that's the real issue here. It isn't the format. It's not, oh, well, the format really, really screwed them up here. No, the issue is you didn't play good. Play better, right? That's what it is. That, that's, that's all it is. You have to, you have five games here. And if in the course of the regular season, if there was a four game series between the Phillies and the Braves, you know, a wraparound weekend series and the Braves lost three of the four. Over the course of the season, that gets washed out by the 100 wins, and nobody would really think it. At the time, you'd be like, oh, man, that sucks. It's like a Braves fan, but you wouldn't think it's weird. If if the Orioles, you know, lost three games to the Rangers, I mean, they weren't swept all year, so you'd think that was crazy. But, like, other than that, none of that would be weird. Dodgers get swept by the Diamondbacks at any point over the course of the season. You wouldn't think that's weird. That just happens sometimes. That's baseball. It just so happened that it happened – in the postseason. So, you know, miss me with this. Miss me, miss me with this, you know, oh, the bye week is bad. Play better. Play better. Um, So let's take a break. And when we come back, we will get into some more generalized um, sports stuff. The, you know, various different little bits of sports news that are very interesting to me this week. All right. And we are back. Um, So... Let's let's get into some. There's like three sports stories I want to talk about this week that kind of relate to the sh- the, the general mission statement of the podcast. Um, the first one, really great news. Uh, Alyssa Nakin has been uh, has formally interviewed for the managerial spot with the San Francisco Don- uh, Giants. She's been part of their field staff for years at this point. Um, and this is, I believe, the f- I believe I've read this correctly. The first woman considered for a managerial opening. This is a historic moment for baseball. Um, I, I'll be real. I don't think she gets it just because I think that they're interviewing the whole field staff. I, I think if if she was if it, if everything weighed out right and she was a man in this position, like if this was if this was a guy, she wouldn't he wouldn't get the spot just because it'd be like the Luis Rojas thing, right? Like they interviewed Luis Rojas, kind of the same idea member of the field staff for a couple of years, although she's been a member of the field staff for longer um, than he was at that point. Um, just sort of a, a cursory, we think we think you're you're good enough to, to get this job at some point, so we're going to give you the interview now. She, you know, obviously keep her in mind, but, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, this, of course, has also led to um, sort of the prevailing comments about this online, which, as we all know, you never read the comments, but if you read the comments, it's well, if she's the best person for the job, but that's the only reason she should be considered, you know, we, we, if she's the best person for the job, of course she should be hired, but she shouldn't be interviewed just because she's a woman made that, that comment. What that means is I think they're just interviewing her because she's a woman. She's been on that field staff for, and I want to Google this because I want to get the exact amount of time that she's, I should really do this research before the show, huh? Maybe <laughs> that's a new thing I'll start doing is doing actual research. She has been as an assistant coach with the Giants since 2020. She's been with the team for three years on the field. It's part of the field staff. Um, she was in there. She started with them in 2014 as an intern. Um, she has a master's degree in sports management. Um, and it seems like she's been with the Giants most of that time. If she's the best person for the job, that's the reason why she's getting the interviews because she's been in this position. 
Um, if she was, again, this is the Luis Rojas thing. Luis Rojas had the same thing. No one said that. Well, if he's the best person for the job, but that's the only reason why he should be considered, no one was saying that because they just assumed that the Mets saw something in him that would make him the best person for the job. As soon as it's a woman, then they immediately go, well, we, it could be that, but we don't think it is. It, 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 it's, it smacks of, it's like so thinly veiled misogyny, right? Like that's what those comments are. Um, and then there's the non-thinly veiled misogyny, which is, I just saw a few hours ago, Aubrey Huff, our, you know, beloved uh, baseball figure, Aubrey Huff, tweeted out, and he's a former giant too, which makes this even better. Um, he tweeted out about the situation. Where is it? Oh, he, well, he's been tweeting through it. Um, but there's one really good one. Let's see. I, I recommend you never visit his uh instagram page because it's here we go it's not misogyny oh wait no here we go that was the response uh okay here we go it's not misogyny it's science men make decisions based on logic women make decisions based on emotion can't manage an mlb team when you make emotional decisions women aren't meant to lead um Sir, you're tweeting through your feelings on someone getting a managerial interview. Who's the one who's really being ruled by their emotions here? Um, it that that one is like that one's so comically like super like like evil villain written that like it's funny in a way, you know? Like this thing is like stuff like that. I, I see it. I'm like, that's really really shitty that you would say that, <laughs> but it's also hilarious that like anyone actually does feel like that. I feel like that's like like they'd write someone to talk like that in like a mid-2000s like girl power rom-com you know like that like that's like that's like fake movie stuff but Aubrey Huff actually talks like that it's hilarious um but but what's fun about this what's what's exciting about this we'll say is this probably means we get a woman a female manager a woman leading a baseball team somewhat soon I mean Kim Eng was interviewing all over the second half of the 2010s, including with the Mets, for GM openings and 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 head of baseball operations openings uh, that led to her getting that Marlins job in 2020 or 2021. Um, so I, I don't see a world where Jonah Heim just hit a home run out. It's 5-1 Texas. Um, I, I don't see a world where in like the, at this point, probably the next 10 years. That's really exciting. You know, and, and with, with Alyssa Nagin joining the field staff, and you have, you know, Rachel Balkovec down in, in the Yankees minor league system, and the Mets have had some women in their, um, their front office. This is a really exciting moment for the sport, really. And and I also, there's an article, um, I'll try to find it and tweet it out on our page, um, about The Athletic, which if you subscribe there, obviously, uh, about a, a woman down in the minors, an umpire, who's trying to make it to the major leagues. And... I don't, I think there's a non-zero chance she makes it in the next few years. This could be a really exciting time for the sport, you know? So that's the Alyssa Naked interview, thumbs up from Flushing is Burning. Uh, Kim Ang, in a, in a move that we give a thumbs down to the Marlins and a thumbs up to Kim Ang for knowing her worth, um, Kim Ang has left the Marlins. The Marlins exercised their half of the mutual option, but she declined hers. And then they tried to admit contract through contract extension. She declined it. Um, she left the Marlins at first. The, the statement that came out was that she met with Bruce Sherman and they disagreed on where they wanted to take baseball operations going forward for the Marlins. And so she left. 
Then the story came out that the Marlins were going to restructure their front office to put a president of baseball operations ahead of her and essentially strip her of her power. This is ridiculous. I mean, she built their first playoff team in 20 years. Uh, first full season playoff team, we'll say, because they did make the, the playoffs in 2020. Um, and she is so highly regarded throughout the league. She, she made so many good moves this year. I mean, obviously the Luis Arias trade, but also getting players like Jake Berger and... and ugh, there's another one that's escaping my mind, but she made genuinely good moves this year to help sort of bolster a team whose offense was kind of faltering in this in, for a lot of the year to get them to that wild card round. They got swept in the wild card round, but they got to the wild card round. That's great for the Marlins. So good for her for sort of saying, no, I, I'm not going to have you strip me of my power, you know, after I did all this, uh, which also leads the the question of where she'll go. Um you know, the, the dream for people, for me, and for a lot of people listening to this podcast probably, is the Mets. Uh, they have a GM opening, but given the fact that she left the Marlins because they were going to put her as a number two now, um, probably not. She probably doesn't want to be number two to David Stearns. I mean, the, the Red Sox have an opening. Probably not the best team to work for, but also I can't imagine that the Marlins are any better than the Red Sox to work for in terms of Bruce Sherman versus uh, Henry. So she could go there. Uh, we also don't know what other spots are going to open up because you're going to get a like a nice little mix-up probably this offseason. Um, I know there's been rumors about Sam Fold interviewing for the Red Sox job, and if that means that the GM with the Phillies opens up, would she want to work under um, Dave Dombrowski maybe? Who knows? She could also take some time off. She's going to be as uh, She's going to be unemployed for as long as she wants to is basically the thing. Until she finds a job she wants – that's that's the thing because she's going. She is so talented. She's going to be in demand after this this postseason run with no resources. I'd love to see her go to a team where she does have resources. Of course, the Mets. But again, if she doesn't want to be below someone, I'd love to see her go somewhere where they're going to say you can work, you can do what you want to do. We will let you take this and do what you want to do with resources. So that that's I'm I'm I can't wait to see where Kim Ang goes next. Uh, I know it's gonna I know she's gonna be great. Uh, and then finally, uh, something that has to do with the show, uh, not in baseball though. Uh, the NHL made a a, a league wide ruling on the so called Pride Tape. I believe that's the company name. So the Pride Tape that players would wrap around their their sticks. Um, that has led to sort of a bullshit extravaganza. Um, the NHL, NHL had already done, I think they did it around the same time, but they'd already kind of done this last year. They banned special pregame jerseys celebrating any sort of group or anything like that, um, which kind of sucks because they usually would take those pre, because they were pregame jerseys. They weren't worn during the game. They were worn before the game during warm up stuff like that and practice. Um, and then they would take those jerseys and auction them off for a good cause, usually relating to whatever the, the jersey was supporting. Then they came out and they, they also banned pride tape. Which was a rainbow colored tape that the that players would put wrap around their sticks because you know they use they they wrap their sticks with this tape to sort of reinforce them you know, um, and it was players were using it to show allyship allyship where okay we don't get to wear the jerseys during the game we wear our team jerseys during the game but I still want to show my support so I'm going to wrap the the pride tape on the, the stick. They said no, um, which is really stupid because like the jersey thing is one thing not that I agree with the jersey thing I think if a team wants to do it you know whatever, but. To then say, this thing that each player gets to choose, they get to choose what tape they want. 
we're going to take away this tape because seven players refused to wear the pride jerseys. And now we have to ban everything. So that way people don't get all up in arms. Um, it, it's, it's ridiculous. There's no reason to it is, is like really the, the baffling part to this is all you're doing is creating a controversy, right? They, they essentially created a don't say gay policy for their own league. And then they were like, well, this is just to, to, to make sure that no controversy, you know, we don't want to draw anything away from, we don't want to create any sort of controversy that draws away from the, these groups supporting these groups or whatever. And then you created that controversy. They created so much, con- like this, this creates such a shitstorm for them. Players are talking about bucking the ban, using the tape anyway, taking the fine and challenging the league because technically in the league bylaws, the rule is like, you can use whatever tape you want. And now all of a sudden they're they're just like no no and and I'm really interested to see how this plays out. I'm not a huge NHL fan. I don't watch a ton, um, but I'm interested. This is this is a story I'm going to track because the players are going to start bucking this with the pride tape, right? Like they're going to start using the pride tape. You've got players already saying that. You've got the, the company that makes the pride tape has said that they've received orders from several from from lots of people, including several NHL players who are talking about using it to break the ban, and then. My interesting, my the thing I'm interested with here is what about the goalie masks, right? Like, is there going to be, like, one goalie who's going to say, like, I, I don't agree with this? And then all of a sudden, like, puts a rainbow thing on his mask? And then what does the league do? Because, again, you're just going to, you're either going to just target the community and you're going to, again, create more controversy. Or you're going to basically say, oh, this really cool thing we let you do where you get to decorate your mask as much as you want. We're getting rid of that. And this is all because seven players out of, I think, something like a thousand didn't want to wear the pride jerseys during the pregame, which here's my thing, right? I don't particularly, especially pregame, like, I don't particularly care. Like, let them not wear the jerseys and then we know who the dicks are, really, is my thinking. Like, I want to support you anyway. So don't, you know, don't don't force them to wear the jerseys. They want to wear the jerseys. That's fine. They want to wear the shirts. That's fine. I mean, we see that with like the, the baseball teams. I mean, the Mets this year, they had the players wearing the, the, the shirts that they did, the pride shirts they did, but it wasn't every player then. And when you do it like that, it also makes it a little bit easier to, to sort of mask who is and who isn't. Um, But at the same time, like I know now, like I love Francisco Lindor. Obviously we love Mark Hanna on the show. Mark Vientos. I actually have more, like I respect and like more because of that and to take away a player's option to support in the tape which is so minor it's literally rainbow colored tape that's all it is like like I'm telling you like google the pride tape it's just rainbow colored tape they're gonna say no no you can't use that anymore because we don't want to create a controversy um yeah, it's wild to me that that they did this, and um, the story is definitely not over. And it, the the next time something about this breaks, you better believe we're going to talk about it on the show. Um, so let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, I'm going to have a movie minute. All right, and we are back. Um, so the, the this week. We're in the middle of Halloween. We're in the middle of October. I was trying to come up with the another good horror movie that I think I could recommend for people. Um, 
you know, and I'm batting around some stuff in my head, and we recommended, you know, bodies, 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 and uh, Scream Queen, and and those great films, which I hope people have, have watched. Um, and I think what I'm going to recommend this week is a movie that I think has been, it was unfairly maligned, and now things are sort of swinging back around, it's like a cult classic, and people are starting to like really appreciate it. And that is, um, I believe it's, I want to get the director's name right, because I know how good of a director she is. It is, yes, Karen Kusama made a film called Jennifer's Body. Um, and this movie came out, people got really mad at it. Um, what it essentially is, is a, it's Megan Fox and um, Amanda Seyfried are sort of the two main characters in it. Um, so it's, <laughs> Megan Fox is a, um, I'm reading from the Wikipedia page, so I don't want, I want to get things right. Um, Megan Fox is a demonically possessed high school student who kills her male classmates and devours their flesh in order to survive with her childhood friend, who is Amanda Seyfried, striving to enter killing spree. This movie is so much fun. This movie is the kind of movie that if it came out today, smash success. Like, like not smash, like I don't think it would be like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, but this would be like the kind of movie that would be championed in the way that like a Bottoms was, right? Like it kind of has that vibe where it's like so wacky in a way, like like it's so fun wacky. And I think part of that is it's written by um, Diablo Cody, who, if you know anything about me, I love Diablo Cody. Her writing is brilliant. I would follow her to the ends of the earth. I think that <laughs> when you see um, Jason Reitman did Juno, um, I tr I truly believe the only time he is good is when he's directing uh, Diablo Co Cody's script. She wrote One Mississippi, which I will recommend at some point on because I need to talk about how much I love One Mississippi, the show. Um, she wrote the musical Jagged Little Pill, which I thought was fantastic. She wrote a Young Adult, Tully, Ricky the Flash, I thought was pretty good. She, she is brilliant. Um, she may or may not be doing a Madonna biopic. That it was going to happen and it wasn't. It might happen again. Who knows? I, I, they, they said it's scrapped. I don't. I don't. I don't. I think it's going to happen. Like I think. I think Madonna's determined enough to make it happen. Um, but Diablo Cody is her writing is so, so funny and so witty and and and. It's just perfect. Like she is. She. It, the way that she writes could very easily be too twee and too, you know, trying to be um, snarky and funny, but she finds the perfect balance there, right? And I think that this is the, I think this is the best Megan Fox has ever been in a movie. Like, this, this movie makes me sort of reconsider everything I know about her, where, where you know, you see her in, and, I, and this isn't her fault, because she kind of got roped into uh the michael bay stuff where he he was kind of he treated her like a dick like i i genuinely go google megan fox michael bay read about what he did to her with her contract and everything like that he he blackballed her at a certain point um and so that stuff i think sort of pigeonholed her i think she's she's a really good actress and i'd love to see her use that more um but again it's it's difficult when you sort of get stuck in that mold to break out of that you know to to be typecast to then untypecast yourself it's very difficult um so she's fantastic and amanda seyfried of course it, uh, like has she ever been bad is really my question um it, like this cast is stacked right you've got adam brody um 
Johnny Simmons, who come back, Johnny Simmons, please. Uh, J.K. Simmons, Amy Sedaris, Kyle Gallner, who has been popping up in more and more stuff recently. He was in the requel of Scream, Scream 5, really. Um, and he was in I Just So Smile. He was in that. Chris Pratt is in this movie in like a small role. So you can, if you're not a big fan of him, don't worry. He disappears pretty quick. But it's so, it's so good. And what happened was, I think... The time it came out, think about this, it came out in 2009, right? And I think about this a lot um, because the media of the, you know, mid to late 2000s is kind of what I grew up with. Um, he, the, the, the film, the media um, culture at the time sort of rewarded films about women as, as being, you know, they've got to be as scantily clad as possible. And as, you know, it, it, we weren't in the same environment. Things have changed so much in 10 years. And I really, one of the things I actually want to recommend as like a side note here is documentary misrepresentation. If you're interested in sort of the, the media culture around that time, really good documentary um, about just sort of the, the representation of women in media. Um, but at the time, I don't think the culture was ready for a movie that was so brazen in its sort of it's it's feminist but not in like the way that I think a lot of stuff at the time was feminist you know what I'm saying like it wasn't girl power feminism which I think was like sort of the way that feminism was depicted in like the 2000s uh, at least from my vantage point as a child really at the time and then going back and looking at it um this film was like was was sort of like now feminist where it's like we're gonna be really wacky and raunchy and and we're gonna we're gonna come up with a plot line and an idea that isn't isn't normal and is it the characters might not be likable and that it's not i'm like i'm having a problem communicating this but i hope you understand what i mean here it's it's empowering women by not being about empowering women. It's just basically, we can have the same weirdo, vampire, sexy films that everyone else can have. Um, it's campy. It, it's it's genuinely great. Like, it's it's genuinely a great film. Karen Kusama does not get the respect she deserves as a filmmaker. Um, and, and I'm glad to see that the film has now 10 years on from its release, 10, 15, almost 15 years on from its release, gained this audience of people who see it for what it is, which I think is the reason why we can have bottoms and and other films of that nature come out is because we had Jennifer's body, right? And it's just, it's one of those movies that I think gets sort of drilled into you if you're around my age, that it's bad. This movie is bad, right? Like, that's what everyone said. This movie's bad. The reviews at the time weren't good. People made fun of it. It was bad. And I think... I think part of the problem was the advertising, right? Because at the time, it was Megan Fox right after Transformers. So it was, oh, we want to get the young boys who like Megan Fox from Transformers movies to see it. And they didn't market it right. They marketed it as, you know, Megan Fox is sexy. And it wasn't like, this is... 
this is like deep. This movie is deep in the way that Juno is deep, in the way that Young Adults is deep, in the way that Tully is deep. Diablo Cody is really great at creating these these stories about womanhood. In and maybe not as much Tully. Tully is is a little bit more like outward in this, but especially Juno, Jennifer's body, stuff like that. She's really good at creating these stories about womanhood that aren't your typical depictions of womanhood and your typical depictions of women. It kind of is, is, I wouldn't be surprised if a big influence of Diablo Cody's is the film An Unmarried Woman, um, which kind of has that feeling of it's not typical, but it's real. Um, I feel like I've mentioned about 30 movies in this movie minute. Every once in a while, we get a movie minute from me where it's just like me listing off every movie I've ever seen. Um, so sorry for that. <laughs> but I just, I love this movie. And I'm actually, I've been talking about it so much. I was meaning to watch it again soon. I'm going to have to watch it again like tomorrow. This 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 movie is so good. Um, and I want to tell you if it's streaming somewhere because I want it to be as easy as possible for you to get to see this film. Uh, it's on It's on Max. There you go. It's on Max, easy to get to. Um, and if you don't have Max and you want to rent it, uh, it's like four bucks. Easy to find. And I'm sure that if you want to very legally stream this film, you can find it pretty easily too. Um, so yeah, justice for justice for Jennifer's body, justice for Karen Kusama, who has consistently been like screwed around her entire career. Um, and you know what? Justice for Megan Fox. She deserves better. Someone better write her a good role. Maybe I'll write her a good role. Um, all right. Now I think that's been enough of a long ramble on how much I love Jennifer's body. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is I'm feeling a little more normal with this. Maybe I'll start doing more research and it'll really flow better. Um, yeah, so this is this is great. We got two more weeks of, of scary movies, and then I can't wait for you to see what uh, the movie minutes I have cooked up for November are. Um, so if you want to follow us online, uh, I say it every week, but I'll say it again. We are on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, uh, at FIBpod. Um, we are on Instagram at Flushing is Burning podcast how do i not know the name of the instagram account i run is is i'm sorry <laughs> like i'm really this is bad um flushing is burning pod and then you can email us at flushing is burning at gmail.com um you sh- also should subscribe to our patreon for home run applesauce um if you are a fan of the show you are probably subscribed to home run applesauce and all of the wonderful shows that are a part of that network from complex to queens um from from complex to queens a pot of their own today the world series to to today your love tomorrow the world series god i'm sorry i gotta write a script for myself um and if you like all those shows uh if you if you subscribe to our patreon you give us, you know, five bucks a month or whatever it is. Uh, you get exclusive access to our Discord. Uh, you get special episodes. Um, you get playlists that people on the uh, part of the Homer and Applesauce family put together. Um, and you get a whole bunch of other fun stuff, you know. And you're supporting us. What more could you want? 
And uh, I, I'm going to take this ch opportunity right here at the end to plug something real quick. I know I haven't been talking about the W very, very recently. Uh, Liberty are in the finals. They just won game three. So it's going to be back at Barclays on Wednesday for game four. Um, I am now hosting with Thomas from, from Complex Queens. We are both big W fans, we're both big Liberty fans. We now host a podcast about the WNBA, exclusively about the WNBA, uh, called Top of the Key. Um, you can find us on your, if you go to Apple, if you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, um, you can find us there. Uh, type in, uh, it's, I believe the channel name is, and I want to give you the right channel name. Uh, the channel name for that is FFSN, so Fans First Sports Network, WNBA. Um, and we're there. Um, we're, you know, it's we're about to film, record our third episode tonight, so good time to start listening. Um, so, yeah. So we're I'm I'm there as well. I really, if you are a fan of the W, I encourage you to listen to that show. Uh, me and Thomas have a ton of good conversations we're right in the thick of the finals right now. So a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, and I'd appreciate the support. Uh, other than that, thank you so much for listening. Um, yeah, let's see what happens by the time we record next time. We should probably have at least some idea of where the World Series will be, if not actual World Series teams. Um. Thank you so much. Let's go Mets and let's go Liberty.